0: Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Conor Ogbura. Marler, we have have a lot of things to talk about today, and we have an entire debates Down South podcast strictly related to who the SEC's most disappointing team of the 21st century was, and we will get into all of that. There is Mm -hmm. so much to navigate through. I'm sitting here with like eight pages of notes. We, we've yeah. got a lot. What has gotten into you? I don't know. <laughs> I, it's the glasses. You know what? Ever since I got the glasses, it's 100% what it is. I just like, I, I want to just sit on my computer all day. No, yeah. um, but we have, uh, we're have we going to have some great discussion. I, I, I promise we will. But a couple of other real world things that, that have happened that we need to, to, to kind of address at the top. It's it's a very atypical time right now yeah. in the world, um, and I'd be I think we would be doing our listeners a, a disservice. I and I understand that they escape the the current right. the current state of the world to listen to to people like us talk about college mm-hmm. football, and there'll be plenty of time for that, I promise. But if we just sat here and we're, and were silent and weren't necessarily addressing a, a very pressing issue that's going on in our country right now, I don't feel like we would be doing right by the people who listen to this.
1: No, and it's a really good point, Connor, and this is, I, there's, I, I I think I'm more outspoken about political stuff sometimes on social media or stuff that, I don't want to say politics, but just stuff that I feel like impacts us all and it's like, that's really important and, and, um, and I know that doesn't always, you know, go over well, but this weekend was, was really tough, man, and I, I think, uh, I just think a lot of Americans found themselves looking into situations where it was like, you know, questioning what, what is, happening in our society in our country and and stuff that we don't really even it's like we almost don't even recognize and so before we start today's episode i want to take a moment to address obviously like the current situation in our country um and just the heartbreaking murder of george floyd and that's what it was it was murder and that there's no two ways around that um we we both understand i don't want to speak for you but i'll say you know from like the pod standpoint uh these are horribly troubling times for Everyone um, in the past seven days, they sparked like a lot of emotions, I think, out of out of all of us, uh, anger, sadness, frustration, um, more anger, just to name a few, and and, and it's understandable. Uh, and, and we do like to keep the content um, on the podcast at, free from like racial, political, social issues as much as possible. Um, but however, like you said, like to, to stand in silence as a response or in response of George Floyd's murder would not only be a disservice to our listeners; it'd be a disservice to uh, us, you and I, as individuals. Um, and you know, I, I feel it'd be morally wrong to just the countless individuals who suffer from similar injustices. Um, again, don't want to speak for you, but I, I will say, no, one hundred percent. From yeah, we we are shocked, angered, uh, deeply saddened by by the death of George Floyd, and uh, excuse me, and uh, understand this is not an isolated incident and the rather an example of absolute systemic racism, injustice, and, and things that, that, that continue to plague our, our great nation. Um, we obviously hope that justice comes from this. We hope that um, the, the people that, are, that did this are held accountable, uh, but we also hope that peace, understanding, and, and some sort of unity arise from this as well, um, despite our different races or backgrounds, uh, religions, or even sports teams. We can learn to, you know, love each other, be better to each other, um, each more, each, each, and every day. Uh, and and lastly, you know, I will say that, before I just completely break down here, um, we hope we hope all of y'all are safe. We hope all of y'all know that we love y'all uh, and are here for y'all as well. Um, and that's, that's all I have to say, so.
0: It's amazing watching some of the, some of the events that we saw over the weekend. We like to have a lot of fun, and we like to to joke around and poke fun, and I feel like we, you and I, we we can pretty much poke fun at anything, but, you know, when when there's stuff like that going on, and it's, it's not just protesting, and there's, there's damage being done to to property, and there's just such, such anger, and such hatred, it's, it's it's tough to, to sit there to sit here and, and pretend like everything's fine when when it's really not. And yeah, um, you know, I, I hope that the byproduct of this is just a deeper understanding and learning learning how, how other people feel about an issue that has is just gone on way too long. And I, I I have it's I have tried as as much as possible during this time to. Listen to people that, you know what, they, they they can tell stories about stuff that I have never heard of. Mo Wells, who's the strength coach at IMG, who's a sprinter at, at LSU, told this story about how, you know, he's a kid, he's grown up as like a black kid in his neighborhood, and he all of a sudden, like, he's walking his neighborhood, and he, he has the cops called on him, and before he even knows it, he has a cop, like, has him on the ground and says, if you move, I'll blow your effing head off. Yeah. Like, I, walking down the street in my life, no matter how I dress, I'm never going to get that. I'm never going to have that yep. sort of burden to, to have to deal with. And you hear stories like that, and it's important to hear stuff like that in to process that, look, it's not the same for everyone. Yeah. And you see these, you see coaches across college football who have come out and spoken their, their piece and release statements on that. And, you know, you could say that, yeah, I mean, you know, those coaches are just doing that because they want to look good for the recruits. Good. I'm, I'm glad those coaches yeah. have platforms and they sh- they should be coming out exactly. and speaking on behalf of this, because this is, this is important. This isn't an issue of, of politics or anything like that. It's, it's an issue of, of humanity and, and yeah. seeking that seeking that deeper understanding right now is what we all need seeking understanding and taking action is the most important thing and that's what's ultimately going to result in change and not to get too preachy here or anything like that yeah, because yeah, I'm not- I'm not one that's I'm not one that's going to like sit here and 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 like post like a ton of stuff on social media about it. Like I'm not that guy. That's,
1: what I, that's my role in the in the podcast. True. Yeah.
0: Like we're, we're different in that regard. And people yeah. who are listening, there are people who are listening to this yeah. who maybe they posted about it several times. Maybe they've taken a step back and they've just wanted to consume more of it and, and just get a deeper understanding of it. That, like that's fine. The The goal of this is to be able to, to get to a place where we are more unified as a country. And hopefully we're not going to be telling, I don't want to have to tell my kids 30 years from yeah. now about stuff like this. And, and this can be a, a landmark a landmark event in our, our country's history. I,
1: and I do want to say one more thing about that is is the fact that, um, I, I, you know, I am... In, I don't think... Like, like the political side of it, I hate that this is being politicized at all. Uh, I don't think this is any one political party's fault. I don't think it's even one politician's fault or any, anything Nor like do that. I. And it, yeah, and, and, and I think... You know, one thing I thought about this yesterday is... um It's... Like, I, I just found so many times this weekend where... And I'll, I'll just be 100% candid and honest with you guys. Because I... I've said this before on the podcast. Like I, I did grow up in a in a neighborhood where I was the only white kid in, in the neighborhood and, and I I love growing up in Sun Mountain. I love like like the the you know I I love my upbringing, I for the most part for the most part. Um but I, I loved, you know, the diversity and stuff like that that I was kind of um I don't want to say subjected to because it seems like it has a negative connotation to use that word, but just that I I grew up around. Um and so a lot of this isn't it's like not surprising me, but it also is surprising me. But the one thing I will say is there were so many times this weekend where i had to like get up and remove myself from the room and just started like breaking down crying because it was just so just ag- aggressively um awful I, I guess for lack of better words of, of what happened and what we were seeing not with like the reaction but like from that video one of george floyd and then also um you just like the pain in in, in people's voices that you heard during these protests and and what i will say is there's a there's a difference between in entrenching yourself in that anger and in trying to support the cause and, and finding that understanding that you've talked about. And the other part of it, which is social media can be a great thing. It can be a, a great thing to spark change and to spark, you know, um, I guess p- put more things like this in a more prevalent and like, you know, visibility, I think like on people's platforms, but it's also a place where we can really get entrenched in the wrong, things that are happening and and I, I do want to say that uh, the, Kevin Duffy, our president, our our boss always t- teaches like t- tells me this all the time because I'm not great at it. but like, you know there's it's okay to take a break from some of this awful stuff sometimes and that the yeah. world really like like Twitter is not the real world, Facebook is not the real world, Instagram is not the real world. and there's a lot of good and there's a lot of love in in our country and in the world in general yep. and and I urge you to seek that out as well instead of just really um, like doing a, a deep dive into how much this is, you know, really hurts a lot of people as well.
0: And if you are consuming this con this content, I, I've, I've said this before, maybe not necessarily on these airwaves. Subscribe to your local newspapers, please. And I know that some of those people are are maybe you know kind of competitors to what we're mm-hmm. doing um, in certain aspects, but. Man, some of the, I, I know that that there are a lot of people right now who are saying, oh, the media is not showing this. They're not showing this. Even LeBron James is tweeting out yeah. videos that are literally from newspaper accounts <laughs> yeah. saying, I bet the media is not showing this. Look, these people are doing great boots on the ground reporting. Yep. And this is a difficult, difficult time right now to be in that position. And whether you you know, you know support CNN or you don't, I, I don't care. Just yeah. support the people who are doing what they can to be on those front lines to, to provide you with this information. Because... Yes, there are going to be times when you don't want to consume this, and you don't want to necessarily just engulf yourself in it. Because yes, it, it is depressing to think about some of these yeah. realities. But there are going to be other times when you're like, "Hey, I want to know what's going on in my community. I want to know who's protesting here. Are they doing it peacefully? Are there, you know, are, are there there are rioters, looters, whatever's going on?" Man, some of these local journalists are just doing tremendous work, and I, I yeah, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, take the time to appreciate some of that because it is so important and it's such a key part. Of what our country needs and you could say yep. you know, blame the media all you want but man take a step back and look at what some of these people are doing and it's it's very admirable stuff." yeah
1: i think the generalization of, of things sometimes is what really gets us in trouble and 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 you're right like i, I think and i'm, I'm guilty of it all the time but trying to trying to think of things not just in for lack of words like this black or white issue or just generalization of this group of people does this or this the media doesn't do this like just you know what? More than anything, man, just be good to each other. Just be good to each other moving forward. Let's talk some football, though.
0: Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, one more, one more piece of piece of news, and not necessarily yep. positive news that oh I wanted God. to get to before. Sorry, I hate this. I hate to be, I hate to be the downer. Um, uh, former Auburn coach, legendary Auburn coach Pat Dye. Uh, Rest in peace. He passed on Monday. He'd been dealing with kidney issues. He was in the hospital as well and tested positive for COVID-19. I think as of right now, as of this recording, we're still waiting to hear. What exactly um, was was the cause of death? But I, I had heard that he that he had been in the hospital, and then he came that, that he was originally doing better. So don't want to speculate on, on any of that, but I just want to say rest in peace to somebody who uh, obviously meant a lot to Auburn fans. There are probably a lot of yeah. people listening to this podcast right now who have very fond memories of growing up and watching some of those great years in the 80s that Auburn had, of course, and and 90s. Yeah, you got two years. We don't need to talk yeah. about the fallout or anything like that. But. No,
1: I, you know, I will say, is, and, and you guys know that I'm obviously an Alabama fan and Auburn is our bitter and arch rival. I will say that we joke around a lot, uh, especially Bama fans joke around a lot with the Auburn family, but it really is a, a very close-knit group of fans um, and and family, I think, is like how they uh, treat each other uh, from the fan base, the alumni, all that kind of stuff. And, and I know that's probably a, a pretty – 2020 has just been an absolute shitstorm of miserable stuff. It's happened all year. This is just another thing that's happened to start June. I, I, I hope that, uh, you know, obviously we, we prayers up for his family and everything like that. But Auburn fans, we, we really are sorry because that's a, that's a terrible loss for a great, great university.
0: Agreed. Somebody who, who has definitely meant a lot to the SEC, no doubt about that. All right, let's get let's into... Let's talk about
1: disappointment. <laughs> let's, let's talk
0: about disappointment, yes. We have uh, today's, today's debate is the SEC's most disappointing team of the 21st century. So, this is the word disappointment. The way that we are interpreting it today is not to say that an 0-12 team isn't disappointing, but if you were an 0-12 team who was predicted to win two games... It's not as disappointing as a team that was predicted to compete for a national championship and then didn't make it to a bowl game. Oh, my God. We're going to get to a couple of those instances uh, with great detail. I, I do suspect that. But when you first heard this and when I first threw out this idea, who was the first team that you would text me, me me about? Do you remember 2000,
1: that? 2010 Bama? was that, I think the first okay. one and and so I think it was right I don't know I Sometimes think it was. you asked me questions about stuff that I've said out of my own mouth and I'm like "nah I don't remember that" <laughs> Um I so I think I think that's what it was but this is this is also a open and sh- or what is it open and shut is that how, is that the saying yeah. um case for me cuz this is this is couldn't be more simple um in my mind but yeah that was the first thing that came to mind because of just the overwhelming amount of talent on that team and i think that there's i you you put it in the notes and we'll obviously get to it that's what the whole point of today's episode is uh there's a lot of people or a lot of teams that have like really disappointed their fans Man, there are so but many the one that i that i've chosen and and i i don't think it's even close is uh I'll, I'll save it to say who it is, I guess. Yeah, it, save it. it. Don't say it in the first yeah. two minutes that we're <laughs> discussing the debate. That's the end of the episode, guys. Hope everyone had a good cry. We'll talk <laughs> to you next week. Um, no, but, but it's... it's. Uh, I don't think it's really close. It, you you did a really good job, of, of course, of... I'll give you credit this, this week. I didn't like your parameters last week. The parameters <laughs> you set for this one are good.
0: <laughs> Let's set some parameters because that's what we do best. As you said, there are a lot, a lot of different cases to choose from. I wanted to start with... Teams who started off in the top 10 of the AP poll. And by the way, whenever we discuss rankings on this, assume that it's always the AP poll unless we tell you it's the playoff poll, the coaches' poll, whatever, some random poll from 1942. Um, But for this instance, I wanted to look at the preseason top 10 teams who fell at least nine spots in terms of where they finished the season ranked. There were 20 such instances in the SEC in the 21st century of that. A lot. So I was like, you know what? Probably not the best if I go through 20 teams and try and find the very most. (laughs) Which I did like some loose digging with some of those. But, you know, you're not going to dig quite as deep. So then I narrowed it down to, okay, you had to have started in the top six in the preseason. I like that cutoff point for a few reasons, one of which we'll get to in a little bit. So then includes
1: 2003 Auburn. That's
0: right. uh, includes also 20, 2015 Auburn, which is maybe the, the more important one. <laughs> um, okay, so that includes then 11 teams. I decided, you know what? Let's eliminate the teams who start who didn't start at number one and who still finished ranked. That gets rid of 2004 LSU. So from that point, there are a total of 10 teams. So they are teams who started in the top six, yeah, and finished at least nine spots worse than where Which, they started.
1: And, and uh, here's the thing: it's because because of your extensive research. I'm not sure if you. This <laughs> is just incredible stuff. But I think it. I think like okay, you already did it. Never mind. Like if you finish, if you finish <laughs> on, if you finish ranked, that like that's embarrassing. I guess if you had this much of a drop-off from the parameters that you already set, but we have so... You're, the, you're a quarter-finalist at best in this group of <laughs> underachievers that we have. There
0: are some floppers. Let's go through that, that list of 10 real quick because I think we'll, we'll bring some memories back to people. Uh, 2000 Alabama started at uh. number three, finished unranked. Um, spoiler alert, we're going to have some more in 2000 Alabama. Uh, 2002 Tennessee started number five, finished unranked. 2002 Florida started number six, finished unranked. 2003 Auburn started number six, finished unranked. 2005 Tennessee started number three, finished unranked. 2008 Georgia started number one, finished number 13. 2010 Florida started number four, finished unranked. 2010 Alabama started number one, finished number 10. 2013 Georgia, who we've talked about a lot on this podcast and it just meant more, started yeah. number five, finished unranked. And 2015 Auburn, who started number six and finished unranked. Okay, I didn't want to go into all 10 of those teams either. So instead, of that group of 10, what I did, and you might have done a, a different process, and I'm, I'm totally open to that, totally willing to, to, to hear this, was, this out. I, uh,
1: don't, I didn't have a process, Connor. I had the answer. Okay. Uh, like, <laughs> right, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs>
0: Um, So I came up with my flopped five. Oh, that's Um, cool. I like
1: that. Flopped five. Look at you using puns and stuff.
0: (laughs) Just doing your job. Uh, I came up with, so these are my five cases that I really wanted to look at closer and say, I think this is the field that we should pick from. 2000 Alabama, 2005 Tennessee, 2008 Georgia, 2010 Alabama, 2015 Auburn. Do you have any discrepancies with that flopped
1: five? 2008 Georgia, 2010 Alabama should not be on the list because Ooh. they started at number one. And 2008 Georgia was still a good team. They won 10 games. 2010 Alabama, still a good team. That 2000, 2010 Alabama, okay, here we go. The 2010 Alabama <laughs> was the first team in SEC football history that had to play six of their eight games, and they played six of them in a row against teams of the week off. So their eight-game conference schedule, they went on the road against Arkansas, who was a top-ten team in the country that played, that had Ryan Mallett. They scored 14 points in the first, like, five minutes of that game, had to have this miracle comeback from a Drake or Patrick interception. Anyway, they they beat Arkansas on the road, had this huge win. They're coming off that national championship. Two, the next game, they're playing a top-ten team at the time, Florida, who... Obviously, remember 2008 mm-hmm. and 2009, you have a one-versus-two matchup in the SEC Championship game against Florida. That's a big game. I was there that night. It's Jeff Colby's first SEC football game. We had a blast. Uh, Jeff made it on the kiss cam, even though there wasn't a kiss cam. That was a weird whole situation. Um, mm. They won like they won that game like 31-7 to and then got into the meat of the schedule of six straight games against opponents that had a week off before them, which included the first up, South Carolina. That was a ridiculous team that had to go through a ridiculous schedule. 2008 Georgia had to go on the road against Arizona State. They started at number one in the country. I, I, I don't – it was almost unfair that they did. I'll
0: get into that. I'll get into that. Okay. Okay.
1: Okay. You, you handle that one. But it was – it was they had this – they run to a saw against Alabama at home. Um, I don't even remember the other losses. I'm assuming probably one of them was a the Florida. I don't know. Um, but but they, those two teams, those were still good football teams. You want to talk about – 2000 and 2005, 2000 Alabama, 2005 Tennessee, and 2015 Auburn. I would even even almost like the Auburn one to me is more comical because the Jeremy Johnson thing about how we talked about him winning a Heisman Trophy. But those, that 2000 and 2005 squads from Bama and Tennessee respectively, I'll, hold on, what time are we at here? Holy Like that was such a huge underachievement. It, it was, I can't even express to you, it, it was not even close to being the same level as those, that 2008 Georgia and 2010 Bama.
0: We will still get into all of those. We're going to yeah. talk about what was being said before, what was being said after, and I have a feeling you're still going to be of the same of the same mindset. But we'll bring up some some things that yeah, I think maybe add some context. Um, real quick, just to clean this up. As for why I eliminated the five teams that I did there to get to that point, the flopped five, I didn't put 2013 Georgia in that group because, as we have seen from rewatching multiple of their games. That defense was extremely young and they were decimated by injuries. And that team was overrated to start the year just because they had Aaron Murray and Todd Gurley coming back. Um, I didn't put 20...
1: Wait, okay. 2013,
0: 2013, Georgia, we're talking. 2010, Florida, I did not put in my flopped five because not even the preseason SEC pick to win the conference that year because it's the first year without Tebow. I understand they're preseason number four, had a lot of talent. Yeah, preseason number four, I think. But still... Not even the preseason pick to, to win the conference. It kind of takes away from it a little bit as well. Um, 2003 Auburn, I didn't put them there because... They Actually, four of their five losses were the teams that finished in the top 13. Ronnie Brown was banged up that year as well. They were a year away, which became more evident. That USC team who they faced in the opener, as we've talked about, and uh, and the other debates down south about 2004 Auburn and whether it should have played for national championship, ran into a very good USC team in the opener who kind of humbled them. Um, So I didn't include 2003 Auburn. I did include 2002 Tennessee because their rivals were really, really good that year. They also had a speaking of very difficult non-conference games. They played Miami in non-conference yeah. play. Who was the runner-up? Should have won a national championship yep. if not for the the fa- you know the the phantom pass interference call against Ohio right. State. That team also had three offensive linemen get hurt. Half the defense got hurt. Casey Clawson was hurt for a few games. Not that he was make or break. They but- lost
1: to Bama that year for the first time in seven years. Like like even. Like and I only say that because even Bama was somehow good that season. There and Georgia is coming off of their first their first I think like big big season under Rick where they they go for like thirteen and one. Two thousand yeah two thousand two yeah.
0: they were they were Georgia was was really good if you remember yep. too. So you know Tennessee it wasn't that Tennessee just kind of fell apart. It was sometimes it's just like all right your rivals are are better than we think they're going to right. be. Um, and then two thousand two Florida I didn't include because they weren't. Uh, preseason sec picks and also their first year without spurrier when we're talking about yeah, first year like without Ron tebow sick. first year without spurrier i think those things have to be taken into account as we talk yeah. about disappointments okay before we get into those the flopped five marler can you first tell us about our friends at bet online
1: well, guys get over to bet online i'm times to have to say it this weekend we had a big big birthday celebration in my house Um, so I was, I was not on the poker tables as much this weekend, but I did, I was able to take some of my poker winnings, um, and help out with some of the birthday celebrations for Miss, uh... Ali Steele. I almost called her Ali Marler. I, I like, thought you were yeah. going to. I really <laughs> did. But uh, regardless, make sure you get over to Online today. They've got there was UFC stuff to bet on. There was um, what else was there to bet on this weekend? There was obviously Korean baseball. There's Malaysian tennis you can still do. Um, there's table tennis. But there's actually some some sports, and we're getting sports back. We're talking about Major League Baseball coming back in possibly July, and in, in mm. NHL and NBA. Well, I thought Jeff Passan said that. It doesn't matter. Regardless, get over to account. BetOnline. Start. Oh, was it really? Yeah. Damn it. Um – Anyway, get over to BetOnline and start gambling today. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a great time to, or a great, great way to not just pass the time in quarantine, but win, win, winning time in quarantine. So um, get over to BetOnline.ag today. Tell them Uncle Chris sent you.
0: Telling you that baseball might not be coming back. Speaking of disappointment, that they was more.
1: Sh- the side note, the, the owners that came out with that, that uh, pay structure is a joke. It's and also, the only way the only way it, it kind of like relates to college football is I'll say this, and I think Barstool actually put this out there, which is surprising. Um, that was because it was a good point. But imagine if Kyler Murray would have chosen the A's over over football, with the the A's owner not paying the owner or the players right now. Like, and, 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 by the way, uh, tip of the cap to the Washington Nationals who are paying their own minor league players in their system to try to help out, make up lost wages. The anyway. Cubs are too right now, still, if I'm are not they? mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bet the Cardinals are, but they're probably paying even more just to help them. They're good people, of course. (laughs) All right, let's go. All
0: right, so I separated this into two categories for what people said at the time. There's the preseason buzz, and there's the postseason autopsy. And that might be kind of a grim way to put it, but we're talking about the death of a season, so I think it's appropriate. All right, 2000 Alabama, the preseason buzz, coming off of a number eight finish nationally, SEC title. Um, They are the preseason SEC pick. They returned 18 starters off that 18 team, starters including ch- both of their quarterbacks. They have uh, Antonio Carter. Is it Freddie Millens?
1: Oh, my God. I hate you so much right now. It's Freddie Millens. Fre- Freddie Millens was, was the most electric player in the SEC that year, <laughs> I thought. Freddie Millens was – so here's here's the thing about that team, and, and we'll get into, obviously, more of it in a little while, but that team returned 18 starters the year before. They lost by one point in overtime to Michigan in um, – what do you call it in the in the Orange Bowl? That team was loaded with talent coming back. They had they had two preseason Playboy All Americans on the offensive line at center, Paul Hogan, and then Dante Ellington, who was a freshman All American, I believe. Uh, and then you have Freddie Millins at receiver, who was one of the most electric playmakers in in the country, not just the SEC. And and it, they, <laughs> oh man, it was bad. 18 starters. 18 starters.
0: The problem is that two of those starters, Sean Alexander. Chris Samuels. Chris Samuels, yeah. We're not back. There was a touch of skepticism, but not really, from the New York Times. They instead of having Alabama at number three, they had Alabama yeah. at number seven, and they loved it that Alabama had all those starters back. But they even said in the their college football preview, they said, "Who can stop them? They open at UCLA, then get pesky Southern Miss and West Division rival Ole Miss in Ole Miss. October." Uh, little did they know that UCLA was going to beat Alabama by eleven in the opener. Uh, Southern Miss was going to beat Bama 21 to nothing, and that probably wasn't even the low point of the season because UCF also beat them. And UCF had never beaten the Power Five team before they beat Bama Dude. and did so on a last-second field goal.
1: I was I was so I was so pumped going into that season. It was my freshman year of high school, and I remember remember my dad telling me he's like yeah in my three years of high school because it's like back then like ninth grade was still part of middle school but he was like my three years of high school bama won two national championships And i was like yeah we got that like we're number three in the country returned the entire world in the office like we beaten florida twice the season before twice mm. and and we returned everyone except for the outland trophy winner and the runner up to the doke walker award and i was so fired up and i remember the first i was watching the game in at, at 1901 oak branch way my my uh, mom and stepdad's house, and the it was a three thirty kick, and and Freddie Millins, the first time Bama touched the ball all season.
0: Mylands, Freddie Millins. Freddie Millins. Yeah, Freddie Millins.
1: <laughs> Freddie Millins returned a punt, a seventy one yard punt return for a touchdown in the Rose Bowl, and I was like, we're not losing a game this year. Like, let's go, it, like the first time we touched the ball, and then everything went downhill after that, and, and I mean just so downhill.
0: That was like the two thousand six <sighs> national championship with Ohio State. Yeah, but returning if, but if you had to
1: watch a whole season of it, not right. just 60 minutes of football. True. <laughs> so. Very, very true.
0: Um, so the way that the season turned out, the postseason autopsy, a 3-8 and eight season, uh, first time since 1956 that Bama fails to win a non-conference game. Uh, six Two years
1: before Bear Bryant was there. That's how long wow. ago that was.
0: Now, obviously, like Mike DeBose resigns, all that. Um Awful, awful year in which you look back and you're like, how did this happen? Six losses by 11 points or less. They had seven touchdown passes all year. And part of their problems, and correct me if I'm wrong here, was because of the quarterback situation, how poorly yep. handled it was. Um, the, the battle, it was, it was Andrew Zow and Tyler Andrew Watts. Andrew
1: Zow and Tyler Watts. And they, and they. So Tyler Watts was, I've said this before on this podcast, Tyler Watts came out, I think he was from Pelham, Alabama, and... Um, and Forrest Davis and his recruiting, he was the number one player in the country, or the number one player in the Southeast, and he said he was NFL-ready right then for, like, like throwing this deep ball. Like He threw the best fade pass he'd ever seen. Tyler Watts had one of the weakest arms. Like, by, by the time Francioni got there after boast, we were running the triple option with him. That's how that's how bad he was at throwing the football. Watts was? Um, yeah. Zao had a – he was from Lake Butler, Florida. He was a, a three-star recruit had a, a, a good arm. And he was the one that really – he was the one that – that 99 was the main guy that like one, like he's the one that, that he threw for like 330 yards against Florida, like in that huge upset in the swamp. But the the biggest thing that people don't forget is you bring up the out-of-conference losses. They didn't have a single win on out-of-conference schedule that year. And there was this weird time, like for Bama football, where it was like it was so I was just I had grown accustomed to losing to these crappy schools because they lost to Louisiana Tech in 97. Yep. In 99, what sparked the entire year was they, I mean, they, they beat again, they beat Florida twice. They, they lost to Tennessee, but they, they were finishing in the top ten and had this incredible season. But they had lost to Louisiana Tech in the third week of the season I, at a game I was at in Legion Field. So you lose to them. You've now lost to Tim Hurtain, Louisiana Tech, twice in the span of three years. You lose to UCF and, and Southern Miss this year. and It was like, they're just not very good. They're not well coached at all. And the thing about DuBose, DuBose resigned in like November (laughs) and it was like well I'm gonna I'm gonna ride it out though we're like can you not (laughs) can you please stop
0: yikes what a what a bad turn of events you think Bama is is getting back to the national spotlight and you're like all right Bama's gonna be good for for a while and then (sighs) all it takes a few months to for it to all fall apart and a theme that that you'll kind of see at least with a couple teams on this list is the quarterback situations and not being able to figure out the quarterback situation is obviously important. That's why we spend yeah. so much talking about it. But going into the season and you know, somebody like Andrew out didn't really like the fact that he had Tyler Watts just like right there and he was going to play right. no matter what, he admitted later on, that kind of made him nervous. And he's, he's always kind of tense up about it. And if you look at reasons why a team like 2015 Ohio State torpedoed, that's a yeah. big part of it. When you can't settle on a quarterback and you're insistent that you're going to maybe play both guys, you want to keep both guys happy – It is not often a very favorable situation that ends up happening. The same was true of 2005 Tennessee. The preseason buzz for the Vols, number three in the AP poll with 13 first place votes. Texas with Vince Young only had four first place votes in the AP poll. The only team who had more first place votes in the AP poll was USC who was in the midst of a dynasty. So that kind of lets you know what, like where exactly the expectations were coming off of a 10 win season in which they were really, really young, like one of the youngest yeah. teams in the country. Their only two losses the previous year were to the Auburn team, who won undefeated in 2004, of course, and then to Notre Dame. So you come off this Cotton Bowl Damn. win where you destroy AM, destroy them, and you're the preseason pick to win the SEC, number three in the country. Even footballnews.com had the balls at number two. And you're like, all right, we're we're in good shape. We've got ten starters back on defense, and we've got both of our quarters back, quarterbacks back. We've got Gerald Riggs. We've got four of our top five receivers. We feel like this is we're we're going to be in good shape. We're, we should yeah. be in good shape. And Fulmer had this now infamous quote where he's deciding who's going to start at quarterback, and he decides to go with the younger Eric Ainge before the start of the season. It's like right. It's like the the week leading up to, to week one. And uh, he said, this is a decision that he thinks could you know get Tennessee to the Rose Bowl or to an SEC championship or something like that. At the time, not crazy. You're talking about a guy who has won a national championship before. Yeah. He is coming off a really solid season in which he returns so much talent, didn't have coaching staff turnover or anything like that. But oh my goodness, <laughs> He could not have been more wrong.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, and, and to be fair, they, they played some really good teams that year, like, they that schedule. Tennessee Tennessee did a good I mean, like, they played Notre Dame this year, which was good. Got right? waxed by them, but yeah, they Got played them. Got waxed by them, but, but they also had, so, like, their conference schedule, this is just the beginning of the season, is they had at Florida, at number six Florida, followed by at LSU, and that was the that was the Monday night game. The Monday after night Katrina. Game after Katrina. Yeah, um, and then you had Ole Miss, but then after Ole Miss, it was Georgia, who was ranked number five in the country, and then at Alabama, uh, who was number number five in the country. It, it, they had a tough schedule, but I, you know, and I say this all the time, I never understood why why Fulmer uh, why Fulmer had so, like why he was asked to leave so quickly. But when you do talk about the two thousand two Team and the 2005 team, and how they didn't meet expectations. I kind of get it a little bit more, I guess. Um, They only won five
0: games in 2008, too, which was that was the last year. But, yeah, gosh, you look at a season like this, and obviously the quarterback situation turned out to be an absolute disaster. It's not a good sign when Eric Ainge, the guy you name your starter, has a five for 14 dud in the opener and he's held the 57 yards against UAB. That's not a good sign. When he can't finish the game against UAB, your team yeah. that's supposed to win a national championship is probably not in the best shape. Yeah, you win that game 17-10, but uh, not good. Um, Joe Briggs got hurt in the middle of the season, but Tennessee was bad before that. Bad. Um, just, just bad. First yeah. losing season of Fulmer's tenure. Goes 5-7 and seven against rivals Florida, Georgia, and Bama. They averaged 8 points. They scored a total of 24 points in those games. The offense finished the year ranked 102 of 109 FBS teams. And the defense was actually good. Defense was number 16 in the country. And they were just yeah. that bad. It was terrible.
1: Well, and because what you're not saying about that, too, is that, that they also they held Florida at 16 points Yeah, on the yeah. road. They, and that Bama game was one of the most miserable games I've ever watched in my entire life. It was 3-6. to six. I like I I never had heartburn before, but I did that day. <laughs> um, it was it was 2005. I remember I was like I, like I that was one like where I had to sprint home from baseball practice to our apartment because the apartment I was living at in college was attached to like the athletic facilities. So I like sprinted home. I get into the apartment in my cleats still, and to, like watch kickoff and watch the game. But that was I, I think that kind of like broke their backs. Like it was the fourth. It was the third loss of the season, and I know they ended up losing three more and. And, and again, played some tough teams, but the way they lost that game to Bama, I think, was kind of like what undid everything because it was such a heartbreaking loss that uh, they should have won, like just flat out should have won. And Alabama won by making a field goal. Think about that. Go figure.
0: And if you were Tennessee, yeah. you were probably feeling good about the, the aforementioned win at Death Valley at night. An LSU team that yeah. that win actually held up really, really well, and they won. And they win that game in overtime. But, man, uh, downhill. LSU, yeah. downhill. LSU finished
1: fifth in the country that year. Yeah, goodness uh, gracious.
0: I, uh, I texted uh, Jason Swain, who, of course, was a receiver on this team, and it's like, biggest reason this season did not go well, and quite simply, offensive production. Found new yeah. ways to lose every given week and had, had nobody to blame. And it, was, it was bad coaching uh, every way you draw it up. It was just, it was a, it was a failure. It was a complete yeah. and total failure. And I understand like the, the tough thing too for Tennessee fans is cause you've had, you've had years in the 2010s where you've looked back and you'd be like, yeah, the NFL talent just isn't there on those teams. I right. mean, they still did have like an Arian Foster or Robert Meacham. I understand Arian yeah. Foster's only a freshman, but those teams still had talent. They still should have been so much better to fall Dude, apart Je- like that is stunning.
1: Jesse Mahalona was on the team and RIP to him obviously, but, uh, he was an incredible story that year. Paris Harrelson, that defensive line was really good. The, de- they, the defense alone had all, all five players they had drafted came off the defense. But, like, you talk about the offensive production and finding new ways to lose. Uh, have you seen that game from Alabama, the Alabama-Tennessee 2005? Do you mm-hmm. know what happened in it? So, basically, Tennessee has the ball driving. And I remember, I'll never forget this. My, my, one of my best friends, Jason King, came in. I'm, I'm sl- like, just slumped in the couch. At the time i was in good shape if i was sitting like it now it would be a, just a gross <laughs> gross representation of my body but uh but like basically he's like what's wrong with you i'm like we're about to f and lose to tennessee again like it just happens every single year i'm so tired of it it's like three to three and tennessee's driving and he's like oh come on man, we got this like he's like trying to pump me up and and i forgot the name of the back who caught the, the caught the pass but it's a screen pass and he's going in to score like he's going in to score there's one person between him and and the goal line it's roman harper and roman harper puts his helmet right on that football and somehow the ball comes loose as he's going in to score, goes out the back of the end zone. I don't, I still don't even know how just the physics of it happened. And Simeon Castile's like, like sprinting, sliding to the back of the end zone, trying to get it. Ball goes to the back of the end zone. Bama gets the ball back and hits like one deep pass to DJ Hall and then kicks like a 40 something or field goal to win. And it was like, oh, my gosh. Like they should have lost that game easily. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder how the rest of the season goes if, if they don't lose that game. Because, it, you know, they still they – still, they lost to South Carolina and Vandy which at the time just didn't happen, you know?
0: Just an ugly year all around, on the field and off the field. And as many Tennessee fans remember all too well, that team just could not get out of its own way, couldn't stay out of trouble. From January to July, through July, they had eight different players arrested or cited. I'm pretty sure, and I could be wrong on this, you'd have to double-check me, I'm pretty sure this was what led to the creation of the Fulmer Cup, which, if you follow that on Twitter... (laughs) Is one of the yeah. is one of the most interesting accounts to follow because it is a fake trophy that Reddit College yeah. Football has created for the team that has the most arrests every year, and not good when it, they decide to name it after yeah. you. So this year was not good in every way, shape, or form. It was a bad year for the University of Tennessee. Right. 2008 Georgia, the preseason buzz. Different. Very different than what we've talked about for for other teams. And, and the same could be said for the postseason autopsy. But started off number one in the country in the AP poll for the first time in program history. Yeah, Had never happened. Had finished number two the previous season. Returned, I think it was 16 starters on that team, but most notably... It was Matthew Stafford. It was no Sean Moreno. Oh, by the way, you've got a true freshman, A.J. Green, who looks like he's going to be ridiculously talented that Georgia fans are super excited about. You also had guys like Geno Atkins, Danelle Ellerbe back on defense. I mean, this was a Georgia team that was sitting there in good, good shape to compete for a national championship. But... Florida was actually the pick to win the division in the preseason, interestingly enough, in Tebow's junior year. And, yeah. of course, they went on to win the division. But this still, even with that, looks like the best chance to end the 1980 jokes.
1: Oh, without a doubt. It, it, it and was, it was odd because it was like, oh, man. you could just. You could, I, I've said a thousand times on here they were the best team. Them and USC were the best two teams in the country to close out the 2007 season. I, I'm sorry, Jacob Hester. I know we disagree with that at the live show in in December but you know just an incredible team and, and like you said it was I was so pissed cuz this is like the first year that Bama was supposed to be good under Saban you had Julio Jones coming in but it it was like oh man we got to play Georgia and I cannot I do not want to lose these people and I like you know like living in the state or whatever and and I remember the the AJ Green hype was almost next level because he started the catches he made in high school his high school tape was Crazy. But he started doing stuff in the preseason. You're like, oh, God, he's going to be a problem for everyone. Yep. That is. But it, what was interesting about this was they opened the season, right? They opened the season. They're ranked number one in the AP. They're number two in the coaches poll. They beat Georgia Southern 45 to 21. They drop in the polls. Then the following week, they play Central Michigan. They win 56 to 17. They drop in the polls uh so by week three they're down to three and all they've done is is average over 50 points and win by an average score of hold on I'm doing this math in my head real quick what's 39 and 24 63 so they've won by an average of over 30 points per game and you're like what happened and so they go to they go to South Carolina and they they have these road games against South Carolina Arizona State where they they don't look I mean, they win both those games. They don't look bad, but they just everyone just from the get go for whatever for whatever reason was just all over Georgia's George not as good as we thought they were. Like they what? <laughs> I'll get to sure? that a little.
0: I'll get to that a little bit later because I think it kind of adds more context to that. Um, the way that this season played out, as as you mentioned, people are kind of like a little bit skeptical of that. And that stretch that you said right there, where they're, they're coming off this Arizona State game, it sets up. Something that you have mentioned on this podcast many times. It brings a smile to your face. It brings a smile to your face like few things I have ever seen, and that includes Queso and Allie. (laughs) You're giggling right now. The blackout game happened. And for everybody who is looking at this, going in, thinking this is going to be Georgia's... Big signature moment of this season. This is going to be the type of game that fuels a national championship under the lights. They're wearing these black jerseys. You get year two of Sabin coming in, and wow, thirty-one. They were a more talented
1: team. They were uh, the yeah, at the half. Yeah, they were. They were a more talented team. And I, I've told this story before. I remember distinctly saying, telling tell my dad the night before, I was like, and I was drunk when I was saying it, but I, I, I meant it. And I was like, tomorrow is when this whole program takes a turn. Like the, like tomorrow is when the entire program at Alabama turns into what we've been saying it's going to be for Saban and and you know I'm not always right about a lot of stuff I happen to be right about that one and 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 Georgia had a really good team that year I, it, it, the blackout thing people it's it kind of sucks to be honest for Georgia in my opinion because I love those jerseys what they did against Auburn was incredible if you go back and watch the YouTube video of them coming out like get, and find one from like the actual student section of them running out of the tunnel. In black jerseys, which they've never done before, before the the Deep South's oldest rivalry and this whole thing, and it was like, oh my God, they they were so hyped, and they and they killed Auburn, a good Auburn team too. They go to the the Sugar Bowl and just absolutely boat race Hawaii in those black black jerseys. I, Justin Houston was in the backfield all day. This I hate the fact that they don't really do the black jerseys anymore because of this game, and I mean that. I'm not trying to make a joke. I know Bama fans are, you know, pretty big jerks about that constantly about. Like oh yeah, we'll do the black jerseys again. Head to a funeral. I wish that they would bring him back because it was. Shout out Scott night. Cochran, by the way. Yeah. It was Irony. Insane. To Andre Smith, yeah, for real. But it was it was a very um, it, just from the get go they were kind of out uh, physical, I guess is the best way to put it. It was it was interesting. It was an interesting.
0: When Saban shows up to the presser wearing the black polo. Oh, I didn't remember that. Oh yeah, he rocked the black polo midweek. Let me tell you, that sounds like a perfectly normal thing to happen. But when you see it and you're like, "Wait a minute, that's not right. Uh, I, that's not I right." Just, I just He's remember, doing that for a reason.
1: There's a. I made the paper that game because of like my over-the-top cheering, and I just remember I, I bought this ticket for a hundred bucks, and I was like five rows up in the in the Bama section, and I remember getting on the fence, <laughs> screaming, "31-0 half halftime!" I'm like, "Finish!" finish that <laughs> like just i i was so fired up and it's you know it's a great rivalry how about that i'll just say that it's it's great games so. the issue with that george almost came back by the way we'll say yeah. was, they they scored 30 points and uh, you listen i will say that they fought that game was over at the halftime at halftime but but no when no scored and then got into the left corner of that end zone the far end of the end zone away from me away from the student section and sprinted back directly across the field to the 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 Home sideline. I was like, oh boy, here we go. It was exactly. it was a fun game. It was a fun game.
0: That Georgia team lost three games that year. That being the most notable one, the first one, um, and that's the moment that you realize, oh, this national championship is not going to happen this year. Yeah. Um, some, if you're if you're a Georgia defender, you might say, okay, they had injuries in the trenches. Jeff Owens, Vince Vance, Tritton Servant. Those injuries. Trent Servant, man. Yeah, I mean, you lose your left tackle like that. Early on I mean before the season even starts yeah that's a bummer that sucks is it the reason that Georgia didn't win a national championship that year I don't think so that's yeah, I, no, and that's I didn't see people, I didn't see people saying that necessarily no. but
1: and, here, and here's why this this team in my opinion shouldn't be on this list like like and I know I, I love them to death but our producer will was like 2008 Georgia they might want to be on it and I'm like like you look at it they, they got they got housed by bama I get it like for the first half at least thirty-one-zero. Florida game had to have been tough to endure uh, with the Urban Meyer. Uh,
0: they lost the 49 to 10. They lost they 49
1: 10. to 10. <laughs> okay. Connor, I get it. you're right. However, here's the deal. You lost to the two two of the best teams in the conference and you lost to teams that were ranked number one and the two by seasons in at going into the postseason. And so it wasn't like you lost these crappy teams. No, like like 2005 Tennessee, like 2002 ba- or 2000 Bama. So that's why I don't think they should be on the list. But um disappointment you know, I get, is relative. Yeah.
0: It's yeah. very relative. And I'm not saying that it was a bad year, not saying that. But if you're talking about a program that hasn't won a national championship since nineteen eighty, it just changes things. For example, when just, I look yeah. back on my fandom as a Cubs fan, you're darn right I'm going to say 2008 is the most dis- one of the most disappointing years as a sports fan I've ever experienced when you've never seen a World Series in your entire life. You go into the playoffs as the number one seed, and it sets the bar so high, and you're thinking, yeah. this is it. And the Cubs didn't even win a game in the playoffs, and they got swept in the first round by the steroid Manny Ramirez Dodgers. Yeah, it's upsetting. It's upsetting when he's sitting there on one foot, yeah. hitting ball 420 yards out it's of Wrigley. Really Very upset about that still. But that's the thing that, that for Georgia fans, you're like, when August hits – and yeah, you've heard the buzz all all offseason. You've heard it. You finish number two, and then when the AP poll A P poll drops and you're number one. Yeah, you better believe it. You know what? That changes things. And to have to experience moments like that in the middle of the year and have that realization, that is that is a different kind of disappointing because you realize that it's it's not happening, and we're not even like just one play away from making it from making it happen. Yeah.
1: It's not like twenty twelve. But but also here's the thing you know that <laughs> i'm sorry so that's so like i said that the, the buzz saw about bama georgia was a more talented team than bama and that 2007 georgia team was really really good 2008 was different like like bama opened up the season against clemson who was also ranked in the top 10 and beat them 34 to 10 uh like a cj spiller team or uh, you know led by led by cj spiller like th- this this georgia team and these and the fans uh, they there was a lot of hype going into it and what makes me sad for him and this one, and I genuinely mean that, is, like, Sean had, like, two moments where you're like, oh, God, this guy's going to win the Heisman because he hurdled somebody in the Central Michigan game at home, and he does this, like, like almost like the Reggie Bush thing against UCLA where he goes down the sideline and just flies against Arizona State and scores his touchdown, and he's an incredible player. And, and I get there is a certain level at this point when you have arguably the best receiver, like, in college football, in A.J. Green, and you have the number one overall pick at quarterback. However, if there's any advice I can give the Georgia fans, it's, like, just do what I do. Like, you set the bar low, okay? Like, <laughs> it, I find, when you're I find if you one, don't have you expectations, do I find if you don't have expectations of yourself, then you're less likely to be disappointed. And that's something I think Georgia fans could definitely learn from.
0: The Stafford-Moreno thing hurt because, I mean, yeah. you know they're gone in the NFL. They're going to be first-round picks, and pretty soon it's like, yeah, you got A.J. Green, and that's all well and good, but... Everything changes,
1: so that—that that I, I think just, has to be taken into account. Just remember, you know, I'm not going to say your name, but my high school girlfriend who cheated on me with Noche Moreno. Just, <laughs> well, I guess we all know who won that one.
0: That's like one of your sickest brags. <laughs> it's the that worst. you can ever make on this podcast, <laughs> and you've made it many a time. So so, t-
1: what, so many times, ugh. 2010 Weird Alabama, relations.
0: similar in terms of the discussion about. Yes, it was a team that didn't have a bad season by any stretch of the imagination. There are a lot of fans who would be very happy with finishing number 10 in the country or like Georgia. But like with Georgia, you know, Georgia had finished in the top 15, five of the six, five of the previous six seasons. So finishing in the top 15 wasn't going to do anything for them. Bama, obviously, we're talking about a team that started number one in the country with so much hype coming off of the 2009 National Championship in year three with Saban and going into this 2010 season where you're looking at the roster and you're like, oh my God, we're going to repeat. And that was the discussion from from the moment they won that game against Texas was, this team is going to repeat because you return the Heisman Trophy winner Mark Ingram. You got his backup. If you even want, it wasn't to call even the best that, running back on the team. Yeah, Trent Richardson, who oh by the way was pretty good. Julio Jones is a junior, and you've got senior Greg like. McElroy. And it wasn't just that because I think the defense, despite the fact that it lost, it lost six guys to the NFL draft, but still, I mean, Marcel Darius, Courtney Upshaw, Dante Hightower, I mean. Mark Barron was on that team, too. I mean, they, they had guys on Dude, guys on guys. He,
1: and here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you go through this team, Ingram was the Heisman. I, he's not the best running back on his team. Julio Jones, former five-star that comes in. You have James Carpenter, who was a first-round pick by the Seahawks at, at left tackle. Chance Wormack, who somebody once said, I forgot who exactly what it was, said he's the best guard that he's, he's scouted in college football since, like, in the last 30 years, okay? Um, you had all that. You have then Barrett Jones, who was, like, you know, goes on to win every award imaginable. Uh, and DJ Fluker, who is also a four- and five-star. That's just on offense. On defense, you have Marcel Darius, who ended up becoming a first-round pick. Donta Hightower, first-round pick. Uh, Corey Emshaw, who played in the league forever. Nico Johnson, five-star. Drake Kirkpatrick, five-star. Mark Barron, five-star. Like, all these players, it, you just kind of thought that that was going to be...
0: And because you... It, the The question with repeating always seems like... It's all about focus, right? Yeah. And if you're going to pick any coach to have his team focused, and especially at this time, and I'd still say even now, it's Saban. And you trust that no matter what, no matter how much the grind of winning that national championship, getting over the hump is, you trust that they are going to be mentally ready to go for another run at this. And so you look at all those different things and you're like, yeah. Well, I mean, Alabama, why wouldn't Alabama get 54 of the 61st place votes in the AP poll? Of course, they're going to be the obvious favorite to repeat. But as we learn, repeating is an awfully, awfully difficult thing to do in this sport.
1: Yeah, they. it just, it seemed like that was really going to be, that's, year, that's the third straight year they had the number one recruiting class in the country. They had... Like, they had they signed the number one quarterback in the country at the time, Phillip Sims. And I just remember at that time, it was like, oh, my God, this thing is just a machine that's not going to ever stop because they had they had a preseason magazine – or, it was, sorry, a preseason uh, show about Alabama behind the scenes on ESPN. And it was like, damn, like, we're we're getting a lot of attention that yeah. we don't usually get as a program. And I, I'll never forget, like, the, the dumbest thing about this whole uh, – like, the hype about this team. I remember that Nike included us – included Bam, I'm sorry – in a – in a, <laughs> a preseason thing where they unveiled these new uniforms, these Nike Pro Combat uniforms. Okay, big deal. And they the were a big deal at the time. And they were gonna, they were going to do these like interesting, different uniforms for for eight different schools, I believe it was. Um, might have been double juice, but it was like it was like a select group of schools. It was like Miami, North Carolina, um, like these like schools that were were big for the Nike brand, but could also do some cool, unique things. I think with Ohio these State, wasn't it? Ohio State was yeah. one of them. They had they had kind of more like the futuristic type of of uh of uniform and so it was like i think miami might have rolled out like the all black maybe or something like that it was just it was these different very unique uh pretty cool futuristic looking uniforms i remember and they they rolled it out i remember watching it live on my phone and they remember they roll it out and they show bama's little mannequin and it's like that's the same (laughs) it's the exact same and they they zoomed in on it and there was a Oh, faded God. houndstooth print, like a very faded houndstooth print inside the numbers, and that was it. And it was like he's like because <laughs> of course these like dumbass Bama fans were like, they better not miss those uniforms. Best uniforms. You think. It was it was so funny. But anyway, yeah, that that team was uh was loaded with talent and they were really good. You could argue they had the most talent under any team that Saban's had. Yep. Like, you know, it retro like retro in retrospect, I guess. But it's also they had an absolute gauntlet of a season they had to go through, and you know they lost to, they lost at LSU, they lost to at South Carolina, they they lost to Cam Newton.
0: And G- whatever. G- G- um, yeah. The postseason autopsy, as you've uh, as you have brought up here, the the grind that Alabama went through. I'm not going to say it's all because of the schedule that that team. It was. I don't want to say entirely. I think it's I think oh, it's yeah, entirely. Yeah. I think it's a team that really was not quite ready for what it had to endure, which was something that was even more difficult than 2009. And I think that's relative to competition. Yeah. And I think there were more teams that were that were on their level. I think you saw throughout the course of the season including the comeback game where Alabama could not put 60 minutes together. And that meant um, going going to South Carolina and getting Punched in the mouth right away, and we've talked about that before. Not being able to rush for
1: over fifty yards, like I think they had sixty-six total yards rushing. Yeah, that was stunning for sure.
0: That's the biggest difference I think with this with this team because like defense was number three in the country. You had a top twenty offense, but Alabama could not impose its will at the line of scrimmage in the way that we have seen so much throughout the knicks Saban era. And that's when that's not your common denominator. And you have to rely on other things and you gotta rely on getting, you know, these big time takeaways in key spots. You gotta rely on Greg McElroy making a big time throw for you yep. and coming back. It just led to a season that with that type of competition was not what we had come to expect or what we later came to expect of Alabama. And
1: and let's also I'll I'll take the homer route here for a second and also say that it, it it also came in things of... Or it, they lost these games. I, I don't remember the LSU game that much. I remember being in Columbia, South Carolina for that game, and I was watching with my grandma for some reason, and I was pissed because she was like, they're going to lose. And I was like, get out of my face, me, Ma. I want to talk to you right now. <laughs> um, so, but I, I just remember, like, you about know, the South Carolina game, Stephen Garcia has to go 18 of 20. Uh, 17 of 20, that's okay. 17 of 20 in that game, okay? Uh, you talk about the... Um, I think the LSU game, did they have, like, a a trick play to win at the very end? Yeah,
0: they lost, what, 24-21?
1: Yeah, here, I got it in front of me. Hold on. They lost, yeah, 24-21. That that comeback game is one of the most incredible comebacks in the history of college football, but what it took for that to happen with, like, the Ingram fumble down the sideline, um, like, the Trent drop, I mean, Trent drops a a walk-in touchdown, just a flat-out walk-in touchdown, and they put that game away. Uh, when it was, I think, twenty-one nothing, and then the next play is when McElroy fumbled, and the and the game kind of, you know, because God's I'm an excited. Auburn fan. That's I that would completely agree. But the other thing is this: uh, you have that end of that game. Like I've said this several times, Mark Barron tears his 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 pectoral muscle off of his chest plate. Okay, like he he can't physically even get up to to try to knock down the pass, that deep touchdown pass, the start of the second half. By the end of that game, McElroy was out. Julio Jones was out. I believe Barrett Jones was out. They, they were missing four stars. I'm not trying to just be like, we well, they don't talk about the injuries enough. But that game, Bama was physically beaten. It was the best game plan anyone's seen it for Auburn. But it took like... See, I love Steven Garcia.
0: We it's love only 17 Steven of,
1: Garcia. Yes, very good point. He liked one of my tweets the other day. I forgot he followed me. 17 of 20 is kind of a miracle. Okay? Um, The, the cam back thing... It's kind of a miracle I'm not take I'm not trying to discredit either of those teams or those players, but it took a lot for that team and I'm not trying to just just giving the example of the team we just talked about not because it's Georgia but just because we just talked about them so go easy on me Georgia fans, but it wasn't like they lost 49 to ten to so and so or they no. lost yeah so you That's... shut your mouth
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would tell you uh, the 2010 Iron Bowl was the day that I vowed never to eat Taco Bell
1: again Connor ever say that i bought i bought two bottles of moonshine from a stranger in a parking lot and drank them both like not not by myself but yeah so same dude same i threw up in a firehouse subs
0: that's that's bull i did not i did not um
1: that's the day firehouse subs vowed to never let me eat there again so it was like yeah it was like, i totally totally agree with it
0: 2010 though in terms of looking back on it it's still even now you're like man that collection of talent to not be able to win a national championship is a, is a frustrating frustrating yeah. thing to accept all yeah. right let's 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 have a little bit more fun for marlar here and this this was an interesting one to go back on 2015 Auburn the preseason buzz Jeremy Johnson oh, Jeremy Johnson Jeremy Johnson Jeremy Johnson Heisman he's
1: He's got to win the Heisman.
0: I mean, look at him. He's just like Cam Newton. He's built like him. He's going to be even better in this offense than Nick Marshall was. Oh, so here's here's what I had I had fun finding out, and I didn't quite realize this at the time. He had the, well, I knew the Heisman campaign, all those all those things. He had the third best Heisman odds, and he was tied with Braxton Miller and Nick Chubb. Yeah, Braxton Miller, who's a two time Big Ten Player of the Offensive Year, Player of the Year. Yeah, at that point, yeah, like it was very very good. Um Okay, he had better Heisman odds, Jeremy Johnson did, than Dak. All right, whatever, Mississippi State, small school, Dak's still really accomplished, probably shouldn't happen. <laughs> Leonard Fournette, Derrick Henry, and Deshaun Watson. Jeremy Johnson had better Heisman odds. Oh, and Christian McCaffrey, just in case that wasn't enough.
1: Oh, and, and to be fair, we've talked about this before, that 2013 Auburn team was great. It's Malzon's first year. It's 2014 really kind of tapered off at the end of the season you could kind of make some excuses as to why that may have happened they lost their and, last
0: four games against fbs competition and they started off number six the following yeah.
1: year I say it like that it makes it sound way worse yeah. um I, I remember this this started the season for a lot of reasons and that was because i thought bama was going to be good i I, th- I really thought bama was going to be good coming in but they it was interesting because they had jacob coker and jacob coker was not a good quarterback or great quarterback at least but Brett McMurphy predicted him to win the Heisman the year before. And, and Blake Stitt started, yeah. Right. And so, but this thing with, with Jeremy Johnson, I remember specifically the Thursday night before that opening game, because that opening game was in Atlanta. And I remember the, the Thursday night before the game, uh, this, this really pretty older blonde lady walks into Houston's. And she's sitting there, she's like waiting on her daughter, and she just, she's a big Ohio State fan. Starts talking football with me. Just, just going back and forth. Is it oh, okay, Shelly we'll... Meyer? Uh, no, it's oh. not. It was not. Um it definitely was not. But but she's just talking like she's like, Yeah, you know, my my daughter, she's really big into college football. And I'm like, oh cool. Um, and I'm single at the time. Just just throwing that out there in case was listening. And um and I'm like, Yeah, okay, that's cool. And she's like, My son actually plays at Ohio University. Uh, you know, I was like, Oh yeah, go bobcats, like cool, blah blah blah. And she's just waiting on her daughter and she's like, Yeah, my daughter's in town for work this weekend. And her daughter walks in and it's Allie LaForce
0: from oh, CBS. I that. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And I was like, Oh my gosh. So I like Take care of their meal, like which not out of pocket, obviously. Slick, yeah. Uh, and and they were they were so nice and so you know appreciative and all this kind of stuff. Um, and she was in time to cover that game, and I just remember kind of cracking up about how the fact that I was like, I don't, I don't think Auburn's gonna be that good. I'll be honest. Uh, and and she was like, Yeah, there's a lot of holes on that team, and I'm, I'm not sure how it's gonna go for them. Um, and then we found out how it was gonna go for them.
0: The preseason hype was. I don't want to say it was way overblown and we shouldn't have ever thought Auburn was going to be at this level because at the time, I mean, a team that wasn't that far removed from 2013, obviously, and Hmm. into November in 2014, as we talked about with the adjustment more with the Ole Miss game, was very much in the playoff hunt. Obviously, things fell apart down the stretch, but people were enamored with Jeremy Johnson, thinking he was going to be the next great quarterback because... When you see somebody with that small sample size, sometimes you're just like, yeah, this is it. You saw him start against Arkansas when Nick Marshall was suspended for the first half in the 2014 opener, and you're like, this kid is it. And you read all the yeah. things that are about him. Shout out Barrett Salee, who was very much all aboard the Jeremy Johnson hype train. Many people were. That's okay. Many people were. <gasps> okay, so you're, you just made a face right now that's scaring the, the
1: crap out of me. Justin Ross has just announced that he's out for the 2020 season for Clemson. Oh, that's Don't wild. Don't say it like that, you weirdo. Yeah. Goodness. That was a yeah. startling
0: reaction. Breaking news Sorry. to anybody who's listening to there this. I'm just going to hear this like 24 hours later. Um, but but the Jeremy Johnson hype train was wild. If you consider that this is a guy who only had nine career touchdown passes, he only had 78 career pass attempts, wasn't proven at all as a runner. People just kind of assumed he would be really good in that role had by no means the running ability of a Nick Marshall and wasn't no. proven as a runner like a Cam or anything like that. But there are people who think that he's gonna be the next Nick Marshall or maybe the next Cam. And Athlon, I remember they there was an article where they were like, he's the perfect fit, you know, more accurate than Cam but with a similar frame. And you're just like, oh my God, people
1: well, were they, they in they love had, with him. They had here's here's their returning starters. Wait, is this just returning starters? Hold on a second. They
0: oh. had twelve returning starters on that team.
1: They're they're uh, okay, 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 okay. Um, they had 12 returning starters, but the, the, they were Duke Williams, who was incredible, Ricardo Lewis, who we kind of thought was going to take the next step because of what he did against the, the, uh, the Georgia game. Melvin Ray was a recruit from 2008 that was a four-star that signed with Bama and then played minor league baseball and then ended up going there. But they had Sean Coleman, who was a former five-star, who obviously had some issues. Carl Lawson, this is her first year, he obviously gets hurt. They, they had a lot of talent on that team to kind of justify why they had that early ranking.
0: But okay, but the problem is, is that the ranking was based on two things. It was based on Jeremy Johnson, mm-hmm. and it was based on. Oh, by the way, Will Muschamp is taking over the defense, so all of a sudden Auburn's defense is now going to be really good because obviously he had just gotten fired at Florida. So a unit that returned twelve starters, which that's like I'd say that's pretty standard. That's nothing, yeah, nothing crazy either way. But the fact that they were picked to win the SEC and not Bama in hindsight is baffling when you look at okay this is a team that was coming off a four and four season in the sec and they have a first time starting quarterback in so many unproven areas everybody was everybody was enamored with gus and his quarterback at the time and that's what fueled so much of this yeah that's fair the postseason autopsy is a very very easy one to figure out um a team that went two and six in sec play the Jacksonville State game. I remember watching that
1: at a row offices. I forgot oh, about that. Oh gosh, such a bad
0: sign. Not good when you're the number six team. You're the number six team in the country, and you're going wire to wire with an FCS team, and you only win that game because you force overtime with a last minute touchdown in regulation. I mean, oh brother, ugh. let's
1: not let's not forget about the fact in week one, Jeremy Johnson threw three interceptions against Louisville in the first half,
0: and they should have lost that game, and their defense kept a minute. Yeah. It was bad. Uh, they they literally got trucked by Leonard Fournette the week after that. If you, Yo, if you no, that was
1: fun. Yeah, really bad. There was there's a clip that if you if you guys follow me personally on my social media, there was a clip of of Will Muschamp trying to signal in something, and I'm not gonna just go go to my Facebook and go look at Will Muschamp. He's doing this repeatedly. I, Connor can see what I'm doing. I'm like I don't know. I'm Can't, not gonna describe not it. Not podcast safe. Nope. Yeah, but it was it was it was pretty hilarious that it that it uh that it happened so anyway
0: in terms of all-time busts relative to preseason expectations jeremy johnson is at the top of that list there yeah. there are not too many people who have fallen flat relative to preseason expectations where we're talking about somebody who didn't even get out of september with a starting job i mean three right. starts through six interceptions in those first three starts 6.5 yards per attempt and it turned the offense over to sean white not yeah not the That's not the tough. extreme sports guy the other sean white yeah. Um, that team, I always kind of thought, though, desperately needed a Sammy Coates. Duke Williams was kicked off the team in the middle of the year, and yeah. they, just didn't, they didn't really have guys that could stretch the field. Now, Obviously, Jeremy Johnson not being good, not being able to move the chains consistently as a runner hurt that team as well. But yeah. um, they, they just didn't have the chops on the defensive side of the ball as well. Uh, Angelo Blackson, Gabe Wright, uh, they missed those guys on the defensive line. Carl Lawson got injured in the middle of that year as well. Yeah. But it still comes back to the fact that they were vastly overrated because of Jeremy Johnson.
1: I, yeah, I, I agree, and it's weird that we—that's just that—that that does kind of speak more to the media blowing things up than they should have. But
0: but it wasn't just the media because if oddsmakers are saying that too,
1: yeah, but oddsmakers also make those because they're trying to find even betting. You know what I mean? Like the, the, like, and people were jumping all over it. it, it listen, I. I I had heard it so many times that I was concerned. That I was like, oh, God, are they going to be good? And then you watch the first game, and they throw three picks. He, he throws for three picks. It honestly might have been four. Um, no, it was three. It was three. But but you, you watch the first game, and you're like, okay, they're not, they're not any good. But what's what's funny, I think this speaks more so to my own, admittedly, more to my own fandom for um, Alabama is that I I thought of this team, and I was thinking beforehand, I was like, you know, it, it was so bad, and they, they, they were really underachieving. They only lost – they went to a bowl. They won a bowl game. I know it wasn't against a great team, but, like, they – Birmingham Bowl, yeah. Yeah, but they went to a bowl game. It's it's a whole different thing to, to start out in the top six, as we've said in your parameters, and not make a bowl game. So let's let's get to that part.
0: The worst take that you can have about this debate, real quick, um, it's, well, I always knew this team was overrated, so they weren't disappointing. Yeah. Nah, like, we're talking about – We're talking about relative to to the majority of what college football experts, so-called experts, um, are are saying in the preseason, and that's what matters. Because even if you think... Okay, maybe maybe 2015 Auburn or 2005 Tennessee, you might have thought they were overrated coming into the year, but you weren't predicting them to be as bad as they turned yeah. out to be. And it's still a, a considerable flop. Even if you personally didn't think that this team was going to win a national championship or win the SEC, it is still a major, major flop. I mean, right. nothing in college football is unanimous. That's the thing to remember. Like 2015 Ohio State was the first unanimous number one in the history of the AP poll in the preseason. And even that team, it's not like every single person was picking them to win a national championship. Yeah, they were the obvious choice, but it wasn't everyone. Um, The thing that I didn't know slash forgot about until researching this, okay, I told you we would circle back to this. 2008 Georgia, you said before, Right after the first game, they're kind of falling. They're like falling to two, then they fall to three. By the time that Bama game rolled around, they're the number three team in the country and they're not number one anymore with that massive target on their backs. Georgia was barely, and I mean barely, the preseason number one. Now, the breakdown of AP votes for first place AP votes in the preseason poll. Georgia got 22. Ohio State got 21. USC got 12. Oklahoma got four. Florida got 6. That's how it started 1 through 5 right. in the preseason poll. And if you actually look at like the the total voter points, it was Georgia had uh, I think it was yeah, 1528 and then Ohio State had like 1506. So it was right there. There was right. not it was by no means a consensus number 1 in the same way that like 2010 Alabama was. So that's why you know the margin for error for Georgia. It wasn't like yes, Georgia did get the number one spot in the AP poll, but as you said, not number one in the coaches' poll. It was it was a great storyline. Don't get me wrong, but it was not something like oh yeah, this is Georgia's year and everybody is fully on board. They have to win a national championship or else. And oh by the way, Georgia wasn't even the pick to win the East that
1: year. Florida was still yeah, picked to win the East. Yeah, that's so I I forgot about that part for sure. I think my answer. um, uh, that that was probably the thing I forgot about most, and then the other thing was, I forgot that Auburn went to a bowl game in two thousand fifteen. Like I, f- I forgot that they weren't like that bad.
0: I mean, they went two and six in the SEC. They went one and they... five against
1: the division. Yeah, well, it was a good division that year.
0: And you play you play cupcakes in non-conference play, and it works out. I guess
1: well so. I hope that people understand. Well, Louisville was good. They had Lamar Jackson, right?
0: Uh, they I don't think they were starting Lamar yet in two thousand fifteen.
1: 20, no, because that, no, so he definitely started against Clemson that year. They went to, um. I know, I don't think, I don't think he
0: was starting in the opener. I could be wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. You're right about that, okay. Um, but I do remember he was, he, he was, he, that was the year they played Clemson and went, like, three, they were three versus five, because I went to that game. It was, it was pretty awesome, but they, uh, yeah, okay, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, that's fine. Go ahead. All right.
0: Where do you stand on this? What is your obvious open and shut most disappointing team?
1: It's not even close. It's not even close, and this is not because I'm a Bama fan. It, it hurts more because I'm a Bama fan. But mm-hmm. it's not even effing close. It's 2000 Alabama, and and I know that's a long time ago, and a lot of you guys don't remember this. And you know what? This may come to a shock as a for a lot of people um, that like to give me crap on social media about my fan my fanhood. But you know, this is so long ago. I was still a Bama fan at this point too, not just the Sabin years, which is crazy. But <laughs> this was this was one of the most disappointing seasons. Of my life. It's at, the, it's at that time, too, when I was, like, 14 to 15. I was, like, a very bad, like... Husky you know, jeans? I was, of, of course, rocking husky <laughs> jeans. I, I think I was, like... I was, like, such a little crap head, too, I'll say. Or S-head. You know what I'm trying to say. Um, at that time... S-head?
0: Was, sure, really? Remember, just say crap head. Come head. on.
1: Okay, it's my bad. I thought you were going to say just say it. Um, but regardless... Yeah, can, well, can we bleep out me saying S-head or craphead? head? That was not my best. Um, but I, I just remember... I remember being so hyped it's my freshman year of high school it's, it's this time when you really want to like kind of stand out and, and and one thing that everyone knew about me is i was a huge bama fan and i talked so much trash i was like we're gonna win the national championship we're going to kill these people like we're, we're going to beat everyone freddie millen's t- like first time we touched the ball Miles. season yes scores on a on a Uh, a punt return for a touchdown against UCLA and they still lose. And I remember that night uh, Parkview was playing Harrison in the the dome in the Corky Kell kickoff classic. And I remember going to that and I was so, I didn't want to go. I I was like, I, I want to go watch the game. I want to support my high school and all this kind of stuff. There's no part of me that wants to go watch this game around my friends that know what happened to us today. Cause everyone, I was so obnoxious. Everyone was ready to pounce on me. Kind of like now. And so <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I remember when that happened. I was like, this sucks. And we went down there, uh, and we, you know, they, they come back and beat Vanderbilt, but losing to Southern Miss the way they did 21, nothing, not winning an out of conference game. The fact they beat Ole Miss and Ole Miss is a preseason ranked team was pretty good, I guess. I don't know. Um, but just the whole thing, the whole season in general was was tough. Uh, yeah, that's all I know to say about it. It was not my favorite. It was not my favorite at all. All
0: right. I I, I think that's a perfectly legitimate point. I didn't go with 2010 Alabama because it still ended up being a relatively solid team. I realized for Al- Alabama expectations, yeah. not as much. But a team that had just won a national championship, You know, it won- that was in the midst of the 3 of 4 stretch, all of those different things. It's hard to say that that's the most disappointing team of the 21st century when they still finished number 10 in the country, by the way, and lost to quality competition. Two of those games were to teams that finished in the top eight and then the South Carolina game on the road still finished in the top 25, won the East, all those things. So I didn't also, I didn't go with 2008 Georgia either because as I kind of hinted at there, they really weren't that far from being the number two or number three team in the country to yeah. start the year. And that totally changes how we talk about that team. If that's the case, if they get like two more first place votes in the AP poll, they're yeah. not even making this five. And that's no. probably the the only reason that we, we had them in there. And also again, they finished number 13 in the country in terms of most disappointing team of the 21st century in the sec. I don't think you can say that. And I didn't go with 2015 Auburn because didn't start off in the top five. Not, not the, um, they weren't even the highest ranked SEC team. I realized that they were the preseason pick to win the SEC. Yeah. But Bama was still ranked higher than them. They were still going to have to go through Tuscaloosa. Although that game, yeah, that game was at Auburn. At Auburn. Year. Yeah. But still, they were going to have to go through Alabama in order to uh, get to the SEC championship that year. Um, although Jeremy Johnson, you could definitely make the case most disappointing player of the 21st century from the SEC for sure. Um, well Here's the thing. I decided between 2000 Alabama and 2005 Tennessee. But I went with 2005 Tennessee for a couple reasons. And it's close. I think it's really, really close. And I have no problem with you going with 2000 Alabama. Yeah. But the reason that I went with 2005 Tennessee was because you had expectations at Tennessee of what a floor looked like under Phillip Fulmer. We're talking yeah. about somebody who, since he took over in 1992, had never missed a bowl game, had been sitting there with, you know, a, a guy who had won a national championship. Whereas when we talk about Mike DeBose, we're talking about somebody who in two of the pre, three previous seasons, they actually didn't even have a winning record in the SEC. Yeah. So you, what you think a floor is supposed to be at a place like Tennessee is higher. Okay. And you're like, all right, you know what? This guy has won a national championship. When you hear, yes, you're the number three team in the country and you have you have 13 first-place votes in the AP compared to three for that 2000 Alabama team, you're like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing yeah. wrong with getting those expectations sky high. You've got 10 starters back on defense with John the Don Chavis. Of course, we've got to mention him. John the Don it Took an hour and 17 minutes or whatever to mention John the Don. Um, but you have that coming back on defense. You've got both your quarterbacks. You've got a stud thousand yard running back. You've got four of your top five receivers. You've got one of the best offensive minds in the sport in Philip Fulmer. And you go five and seven, yeah. five and seven with an average score, and you score eight, you score eight points a game against your rivals. There's no excuse to look back on for that team and say, yeah, you know what you could point to like with with 2000 alabama you could say well you know what looking back we should have accounted more for the loss of sean alexander yeah you know what we should have been like yeah mike Debose, not really that good of a coach we should have been able to look look beyond a couple of those things whereas with that tennessee team the talent's there it's everything's right there and they have nobody to blame but themselves for all of those different things, for the off-the-field arrests, all the distractions that came with that. Some people look back on that that season with Philip Fulmer and say he was doing too much of the ESPN stuff, and he was a little bit, he was feeling himself a little bit too much going into that season. And that team just did not make any adjustments whatsoever. And in my opinion, is there much of a difference between three and eight and five and seven?
1: Yes, there I, is, Connor. I don't know. Listen, here, here's the thing you don't get. Here's the thing you don't get. All right, brother, here, let me tell you something. Let me let <laughs> me learn you something right now. Alabama team returns 18 starters and is preseason ranked number three in the country. This is going to get weird, but I'll share. I'll share an interesting tip about this. I remember the first time I was ever allowed to see a Playboy magazine was because the Alabama was ranked third in the country, and there were three preseason Playboy All Americans. And like, I didn't get to look at the fun parts of the Playboy. I'll be honest, but I was like, oh, cool. The stories we're on. yes exactly (laughs) stories but I was like (laughs) you said that was so much like that's not the word you know what I'm saying but I was like uh, but I remember looking at this and I was like oh my god Freddie Millins Paul Hogan Dante Ellington, we're not lo- like they're not gonna lose a game. Eighteen returning starters off a team that won the SEC. They beat Florida twice. Like, not only are they gonna finally beat Tennessee for the first time in, in six years now. Like it, it says it in the New York Times thing, the little the little uh, piece mm-hmm. it was like which which that really had I wish we would have brought that up. It's funny that you saw that as well. Uh, well I guess it's not because it's, it's a simple Google search is probably yeah. that's that's it how up. I find every, a lot yeah. of these things. Yeah. But but like it's funny because reading through it and they were like, uh Deuce McAllister, maybe one of the r- best running backs in the country will miss, but he might not even be good as backup. Ever heard of so and so? And you're like, no, I have not. Nope. And no, <laughs> <laughs> at all. And and still haven't. But um, but it was interesting because it was like they they return all this talent, and it was a season where we pretty much knew that Eric Crouch and Nebraska were the clear cut number one. Like mm-hmm. it, there was there was no debate on that. Miami was probably or Florida State. I think maybe it was like the clear cut number two. And there was there were some teams of talent, but it was like, oh my gosh, like Bama belongs in this conversation. Like I went back and looked at the ESPN stuff and it was like every single person said Bama's gonna win the SEC. And you think about that when you have those Tennessee teams, those Florida teams with Spurrier still and Grossman and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, Bama's Bama's the clear cut choice to win the SEC. I get that 2005 Tennessee is is disappointing, but to win, like just just looking at the, the numbers, just the number itself, to start out number three, and to have that be the exact same number of wins you have at the end of the season is one of the most ridiculously horribly underachieving things i've ever seen in college football or sports in general and the fact that it was it, like and what you don't remember about this especially because you were like four years old is it was when, when we went to bama games we would we would have we would drive home and we would sit there and you're in traffic obviously because you're around the stadium and you're you're listening to the the, the games whatever and and I just remember sitting there, and it, my dad was just get so pissed. And he was like, "I'm so tired of hearing Mike Dubose in this defeated mentality." Because because what what people forget is he tried to resign after they lost to Southern Miss in the third game of the season, and the athletic director said, "Nope, no, we're gonna ride with we we like Mike. We're gonna ride with Mike Dubose. You got us the SEC championship game. We're we're with you, brother." And he was terrible. And and it was he was this like just overweight buffoon of a person who somehow also was caught up in a scandal where he cheated on his wife with his secretary. The secretary told everyone. So we're now we're involved in this. Also, we're in the middle of a cheating scandal about getting Albert means. So the entire entire part of the the program is falling apart and just crumbling in front of the nation. Okay, again, start number three and by the seasons end, your coach, is divorced and fired because he was so bad or he resigned and they let him coach the last four games of the season which we lost every single one of those games also the program is under heavy heavy investigation of the ncaa which later uh, came out to find out that the NCAA said they were an eyelash quote an eyelash short of the death penalty okay like that's how bad the cheating scandals were that mike dubos is involved in and it it all it all ends with this nine to nothing loss, which I've told you about so many times to Auburn when it was 33 degrees and raining, and you lost by three field goals to your arch who was not that good that year. It was the worst season from any SEC team that was vaunted at all. It was, it was by far, it's, it's, it's hands down the winner of this category.
0: It's fair. Uh, those are all. Those are all. 50. It
1: wasn't fair, Connor. It wasn't fair. I was only fifteen.
0: I think either way, you, you can't go wrong with uh, with, with two thousand, two thousand Bama, two thousand five Tennessee. Those fans remember that so so well. And I, I think for for Tennessee, this this being the, the beginning of the end of Phil Fulmer, where you're thinking this yeah. is this is kind of where you're supposed to get into that next level category, where if you're going to become an all time great. Now is the type of not this is the type of run that you have to go on and the sustainability that Tennessee could have had. you know, they yeah. still had good seasons after that. don't get me wrong, they still bounce back, but man it, it it's tough to look back on that and think you all of a sudden have this floor that's way lower than what you thought it could possibly be and it's just because your coach is not that good at his job and that's yeah. that's the tough thing. he did not have a, a hold on that team and it's it's the worst coaching job that he's had and he's had don't get me wrong like we just talked about, the great 1998 season, the first year without Peyton, what a great coaching job that was, and he deserved every National Coach of the Year award that he got. But, man, you look at the way that things fell apart and how much he lost control of the program, not great. So, no. Tennessee fans, um, feel for you. Bama fans, I don't feel for you. Not one bit. No, I'm kidding. Uh, just for, just for the, the the OG Bama fans who remember it back in 2000, like yourself, who had to deal with that, I'm sure that wasn't fun at all. All right, number
1: three, number three in the country, <laughs> three wins. Tennessee was number three too. Oh, by the way, here's a here's another thing too that I forgot, about just like all the different layers of it, that lost to to, to Auburn, like we weren't Fairweather fans by any means. We watched every single game, and it was it was awful. But I remember we we had to go to that game. My dad was like, "We're going to that game no matter what," and I was like, "Do we have to? Like we're gonna lose? We're obviously gonna lose. That team. It's the first year." They lost to LSU in Death Valley since 1969, lost by two points nice. to Nick Saban. Um, yeah, nice. And then that Auburn game, the only reason we had to go to that Auburn game is because it was also the first time they were going to play the Alabama-Auburn Iron Bowl in Tuscaloosa since 1901, and they lost. It was awful. It
0: was awful. Pat's eye was a big part of getting the Iron Bowl played at Jordan-Hare as well. People forget that. While he was athletic
1: director. Yeah, so he, he did a great job as director. It that that quote from who was it? Was it, it, was, it was Housel, Hauser, Housel? I can't remember his name right now. Who who said he was so excited for that '89 game? Tony Barnhart told us this story, mm. and he said, uh, it, you know, that 1989 game, and he's like, I was so excited because I knew it was going to happen, and just, all we had to do was just as soon as that team got on the field, I was so ready to lock the gates. That was, that was a cool story. Great. Anyway, this was a very somber Monday.
0: <laughs> Disappointment <laughs> Monday, sadly. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, everybody enjoyed this, uh, everything that we that we discussed today, uh, regardless of, of kind of where you stand on, uh, on all of this. Hopefully, everybody can listen and, and hopefully maybe learn something and, and develop a, a new understanding of disappointing losses, or whatever, you know, disappointing yep. seasons, whatever we're talking about. Don't know what we're going to do next just yet. Don't know what we're doing for Just Meant More yet. Um maybe maybe so, I, I kind of like doing something a little bit more recent we haven't done besides the 2018 LSU Texas A&M game that we just did we've also yeah. done the 2019 Egg Bowl of course but maybe we do something a little bit a little bit recent because as we talked about with Google searches man it makes everything a world easier when you're able to yeah. do that and look up and go down more more holes. so maybe we'll do something in the last few years or so alright Marler um Mike
1: DeBose. No, I'm not doing Thanks, guys. I hope everyone has a blessed rest of the week. Talk to you guys soon.